All right. Uh, you guys are probably somewhat tired of the first part of the prayer. This is the closing section of that first number on the gospel prayer that he is accenting. Number one, there is nothing I have done that could make you love me less uh, and nothing I could do that would make you love me more. And so because of that, we're going to talk about something. I'm going to tell you guys a story to start with, which is, does motivation really matter? And then... I, I want to talk about what the law produces, what the gospel produces, and I want it to be more of a discussion than me just telling you what I think for multiple reasons, mostly because I think you guys are smarter than me. But when we start about does motivation really matter, I knew a person once. I still know this person, but I knew, and they had children. And their children were afraid of them. Like, literally, this person, we'll call it he, that his, his children were afraid of him and they would never be disobedient to him. However, as these children hit 18, move out, run away, <laughs> do these sorts of things, when, when the children did that, you could see that the obedience that they were doing was not true heart change. It was merely a change of actions. And so when we start with the question, does motivation really matter? To the person that is doing the acts, it's vitally important. Because if you are running away when you're 18 because you don't appreciate what your parents are doing, it no matter how well behaved you were before that, whether you were the perfect angel and everyone thought you were a perfect kid growing up and then you go and you run away and you never talk to your parents again, that is not really producing something. Although, while the children were little, people thought, man, this is a perfect family. Everyone loves them. Their children are so well behaved, they do everything. Because the accent was not, is this person's heart being transformed? It was, are they doing what I said? And those of you who have been in the military know, Military leaders can get you to do what they say, but that doesn't always necessarily produce the right motivation. So he said that you heard with very poor reading. We need to get a better reader for this. What he said, the law produces Pharisees and the gospel produces Christians. So this is where I want to open it up. And I just have two questions. What does the law produce and what does the gospel produce? So I want to start with the law, and I, want to, I, I would like to get all of you to say something, but I'm, I will give up that hope. But when we talk about what does the law produce, uh, what, what does the law produce? Does anyone have a story, an example, a thought on something where the law produced something? Uh, when, when there were... I will give you an example, and this is a really bad example. So you guys, this is the, I'm setting a really low bar that you guys can all clear. So this is the first very bad example. But recently, a lot of places passed laws saying you had to wear a mask in stores, right? And the theory is that when you're out and about among the people, you're going to pass a virus. So 
What did you see most people doing on the way to the stores? They had some sort of mask that maybe was in their pocket or sitting in their car, installed the gunk, and they would get to the door of the store, maybe even take a few steps in, and then they'd put on their mask, kind of, and they'd take it off as soon as they paid for their groceries or whatever, and they, they were doing it. Did it, assuming that masks protect you from the virus, which I'm not convinced of, but assuming that that is actually the case, did it actually produce behavior that was going to help? And the answer is no. Why? Because as soon as people are walking out, they're taking off their masks, they're throwing them away. They're not, even those who are obeying the rule to the letter of the law and waiting until they step out of the door to take off their mask, most of them are putting their masks in places that are containing germs. They're not taking it off and quickly putting it in a dehumidifier, sanitizing it, and doing all that. Why? Because the rule cannot change hearts. The rule can only change behavior. So when we say, uh, does motivation really matter? The answer is yes. If you've got a pen and you want to take notes, you can write yes down there. I'll give that to you. But so what does the law produce? When laws are given, when you give rules to your children, when you give rules to people, what does that produce? Does anyone have a better story than my very, very bad analogy of the people going into stores with masks? You've got to be able to top it. It's really bad. I, I know. I'm so sorry. Nobody's got a better story than that? Come on. All right. Maybe I should have set the bar even lower. Now, uh, but <clears throat> if you think about it, if you, if you go to, even if you go to a church and you've got a well-meaning preacher and the preacher comes and says, you must do this, you must do this, you must do this, you must do this. And you see people taking that list, writing stuff down and they walk out. Like, okay, I gotta, I gotta do this better, I gotta do this better, I gotta do this better. And, all right, okay, done. And then, you know, they may do it. Yes, Ms. Carver. I just had a thought. I guess law produces obedience to a certain Sometimes, extent. or disobedience, yeah. yeah. Right. Yeah, there's only one perfect law that ever existed, and that was what God gave. And, and what does it say, what does the Bible say about the law? It says that the law merely shows where you're lacking. It doesn't, the law could never save us. No, first of all, no one could obey it perfectly. And even if you did, that's not what saves you. What saves you is a heart, but that law shows what it exposes what the heart is. Now, those of you who have seen me with my kids, you know I probably give really bad rules. But the goal of my rules is not to produce people who puppet what I do. I hope they end up far better than me. But the goal of rules that I give them is so that I can expose where their weaknesses are. So hopefully we can work on that together while they're with me so that when they go off on their own, we are aware of what their exposed issues are, and hopefully they've improved them. So the law at best produces the right actions, but the law could never produce the right motivations. Yes? Hopefully this is where you're looking at and the direction you're headed in. Uh, for example, speed limits. You know, uh, the law produces a speed limit, you can only do 55 miles an hour in this certain particular area, and most people are going down that that particular street, 
and they look around to see if there's a cop or anything else, and then they hit the pedal, you know? <laughs> yes. I, well, that reminds me of a story. I was, this, this week we drove to Wisconsin. You can debate the sanity of that on your own. But when we drove to Wisconsin, I, I had to take a class, and because we didn't get there as soon as we wanted to, I played it through my phone. It was playing on the speakers of the van, and so my kids are sitting in there listening to my class at, at seminary. And, and the teacher, the professor, tells this story that Nacho told me again the next day, so apparently he thought it was effective. But he said, when you think about the omnipresence of God to someone behaving well, it's a blessing. And to someone who is not behaving well, it's misery. And so here's the story he told. Is if you are walking down a street and all of a sudden the lights on the, the light in the street are, are dimming or, or turning off. And so it's kind of dark and you hear footsteps behind you and you're worried and you turn the corner and you see a police car. Think of the exuberance and the joy that that protection is there for you. If, on the other hand, you're like Pastor Travis and you see a sign that says 55 and you think it would be better 85. And so you're adjusting accordingly and you see a police car pearl out behind you. Not the same reaction. Okay, because the protection of an omnipresent God is great when we're behaving well. And when we are not behaving well, the justice of an omnipresent God is not what we like. So the motivation so. of that cop makes a difference. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe the motivation of the person's reaction to it. Anyway, but, but yeah, so when you say what does the law produce, at best, the law can produce proper behavior. It can never produce proper motivation. Right. That's, that's where we're at. Like, so when we get a list of rules... Anytime you get a list of rules, no matter who it's from, whether it be from the government, from your church, from someone you're in a relationship with, from friends, anyone who says, hey, here's a list of things you need to do, okay? It's as well-meaning or as poor-meaning as, as those rules may be. When you're talking about law, what does it produce? At best, it produces correct behavior. At best. So when we make laws, the goal should be, now we fall short of this, but the goal should not be, let's get them to behave in the way I want them to behave. Whether you're government or church or parents or whomever, the, the goal of the law should be to, to have behavior and expose why people are not behaving the way you want them to behave. If you had... Let's go back to the mask example I used because it was so bad, nobody topped it. So, but when you have that example of masks, if you say, well, why are people behaving that way? You have some people who are wearing their mask in the shower and they're coming out and they're living in such a way that they are never exposed to another human or maybe some dogs that they think might have contracted COVID without having a mask on because that mask will protect them. And when they take that mask off, they have a backup ready to go on and that one gets put in a sanitizer and gets sanitized and cleaned and steamed before it's worn again because you can't have on a mask. Those people who are behaving in that fashion, 
would probably appreciate being around other people who are behaving in similar fashions. So wouldn't it have been better to say, these stores are going to cater to people who wear all masks all the time. And then the people who are taking it off because they're doing it out of obligation, they'd rather not wear it, they don't want to wear it. And so they're at best wearing the mask during what they perceive to be the legal requirement of stepping foot in the store and stepping foot out of the store. At best, that's what they're doing. And they don't do it. Have a different set of stores who say, we're going to cater to these people and no mask required. We don't want you to wear a mask. If you're wearing a mask, go over there. Now, that would not have been as easy to write the law for, but it might have produced results that people would have appreciated. Because as it is, you have the people who are wearing the mask complaining that they have to wear a mask, and the people who think everyone should be wearing a mask complaining that this person let the mask dip below his nose on aisle four, and it's making all the peanut butter contaminated. Okay? And we laugh, but really these things were happening because the law was not written for the benefit of those receiving the law. Whether you think masks are helpful or not, in neither case was the law benefiting you. The law was merely done to affect behavior, and it did to a degree that didn't help anyone. Nobody liked it. And this is why, like, again, now, is it reasonable that the government's going to say, hey, we want some stores to cater to mass people and some stores to cater to non-mass people? They're never going to do that. So this is not a statement that the government needs to change the way they write laws, although they probably should. But what it is a statement of is we understand that when there are laws that make nobody happy, at best you're affecting behavior and you're not doing anything. To people who believe masks are saving the world, those people think we're not saving anything because these people are getting in the parking lot taking their masks off. Some of them never wear it in their car. Like this is a really crazy thing. And to the people who are on the other extreme, which, you know, full disclosure, that's where I'm at. Uh, like who don't think masks are helpful at all, we're like, why are we being slavishly forced to put on something that's not helpful at all? And in, the, in both cases, people are irritated, and they're irritated at opposite extremes, but if we created a segregated society of masked people and non-masked people, I think a lot of people would be more happy. But then they would say, well, you can't segregate society based on that, and so there you go. So the law... And, and I think you guys understand what I'm saying about this really, really bad example I'm giving you. But the law isn't helping anyone. It is at best affecting behavior. Now, the next question, what does the gospel produce? What does the gospel produce? And, and you heard the story of Zacchaeus that he told. You may have heard it before. Thanks to that wonderful little children's ditty. Uh, Zacchaeus was a wee little man. We talked about this on a podcast, for those of you who listen to the podcast. But this, what does the gospel produce? And you can use the example of Zacchaeus, but there are other examples in scripture that you can come up with. You may have examples from your life. Does anyone have an example? Do you want me to give a really bad one again? A really Okay, here's a really, really bad one. This, uh, this parent that I knew that uh, I talked about earlier, whose children were afraid of him, and he acted in such a way that they, were, they would do what he asked, but they left and didn't respect him and didn't talk to him again after he was 18. Well, as his, as his second youngest child turned 18, he 
started talking to some people and said, why are my kids all going off the deep end? What's going on here? And some people said, well, I'm very sorry. I don't want to answer the question. And other people said, well, yeah, here's what I've noticed. You're really, really good at setting rules and getting people to follow those rules. And that's a strength. Don't take that away. But the rules you're giving them are only affecting their behavior. And when they're no longer under what the Bible calls our schoolmaster, they're no longer under the law, they don't know the grace that needs to accompany that law for that law to matter. So as, as I like to say with my big words on the podcast, the two-syllable words, the, the logos, the words you say don't matter unless they know the ethos, the person you are. And this is what some of us tried to communicate to this guy. And by the grace of God, he heard the message, began to adjust the rules. He was still very rule-oriented, something I'm not, but still was very rule-oriented. But the rules began to change, and they began to reflect grace. His apologies to his older children started to come through, and there was some respect, and some of that relationship was restored. Now, why was that? Because the gospel shows that we're not just trying to affect behavior. That's nice. It has its place and will be a natural result. Zacchaeus' behavior was tremendously affected. He went from stealing money all the time from people to giving money all the time to people. That's a very diametrically opposed change. So that's, that change does happen, but it didn't happen because Jesus said, you need to give four times your money, whatever. I don't know what Jesus said. It's not recorded in scripture, but I know what Jesus generally said was not do this, do this, do this. What he said is change your heart. Let me take away your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh so that you can adjust what you do. So does anyone have a good story? Hopefully we all have our own stories that we may want to change to uh, protect the innocent, but we, we all have our stories of the gospel changing us, hopefully. If not, talk to someone afterwards. But like this is the story of us. We have, we know what the gospel produces. So does anyone have an example of what the gospel produces? A better example than my really bad example of my schoolmaster friend. really bad at getting you guys to give examples. Yes, Miss Barbara. I think it produces faith. Faith. Some may even say a list of things of which faith is one. Yeah. And I just have a smart comment to make too. Make it. Go. Um, Joel Greenberg, our famous tax collector, he must have been living by Zacchaeus's. Joel Greenberg is the Zac. We will nickname name him Zacchaeus. Next time he runs for office, he, he should put Zacchaeus in quotes. Well, we hope that people change, and those people that are changed are the ones who run for office. That would be great. So after he's reformed, right? Yeah, I, I would love to see someone reform. I mean, we see what Zacchaeus did and the change that was made in him. And now we would vote for Zacchaeus. Provided he wasn't running against someone better. Anyway. Does anyone else have a uh, 
Can anyone top Miss Barbara's joke? Let's go with that. Can we top Miss Barbara's joke? Yes, David. I'm not trying to top a joke, but I'm uh, telling you what it can produce. It can produce good soil, which leads to fruit. There you go. Yeah. The gospel produces good so- soil. Yeah. Miss Barbara said faith. I, I, when she said that, I immediately thought of the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, all something Jones Faith, meekness, temperance. And it says, against such there is no law. Uh, which most people don't know that part of the verse 23, the second verse in that list. But why are there no laws against those things? You can't love someone because these are things that laws can't take away, right? Love, joy, peace, on suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. You, you, can't, you can't change those with laws. Laws, again, what do laws do? At best, they change behavior, Right? And, and, but they don't change hearts. Laws don't change. And that, when we're talking about producing soil, we hope that the gospel changes people. It changes them so that their actions reflect something different. And that's, that's what the gospel produces. So, as I said, this is the end of the gospel prayer. There's point number one, which... The last few weeks, you might have heard a few times, there's nothing I have done that could make you love me less and nothing I could do that would make you love me more. Uh, In the future, we're going to move on to point two of this. But uh, come on in. Yes. Uh, We are... Here, I'll... You can can see what we're seeing. We're... Here we go. There we go. I got some... A dartboard material that you can throw darts at later. It'll work for you. So, but we, we, we just have been talking about the difference between what laws produce and what the gospel produces. The law produces, at best, behavior change. The gospel produces heart change. And behavior does change as a result of that heart change. But if we concentrate on changing our behavior we are slipping back into a works uh, a works based uh, righteousness we're getting our righteousness from our works rather than from the gospel because w- the righteousness we want is Christ's righteousness which is given to us so that's that's uh, what we've got there so so does any okay I want someone to beat my story because it was really bad. Uh, what does the gospel produce? Does anyone have a story of what the gospel produces? We heard fresh soil. We, we have Miss Barbara's joke, which has not yet been topped. Uh, does anyone have what the gospel produces? A story. All right. Right. And find that lost sheep. And um, they didn't even hear it. They went back to, you know, to, to plot to destroy him. Whereas Jesus very compassionate. 
compassionately healed this person because a person is so much more valuable than even a sheep. And of course, I agree with that. Yeah. Person more valuable than sheep. <laughs> I'm just saying. I just laws don't always reflect that, but I agree. So I, there we go. I, I just look at Jesus as you know the the Christ example, obviously, um, of how we're supposed to be compassionate to our fellow man. Um, yet on the other side of the law, there's a dogmatic view of rules, and uh, because they're following the rules, they're very judgmental. Right. Um, and they can't see past that to, to even have compassion on someone. Right. As you heard in the, the book, again, we need a better reader for that, but that's discussion for another day. But he told the story about how uh, the, the Pharisees are, you know, whited sepulchers. And we, we have this vision of them being whited sepulchers. When you hear the word Pharisee, you probably have a negative reaction or connotation. In that day, that was not the reaction people had when they heard the word Pharisee. Just to give you an idea, we get the word salary from the word salt. It's got the same root. And so people would be paid in salt and you'd get, you know, a pound of salt. And the Pharisees would go and they would count the grains of salt. Right? Is it called grains? What are pieces of salt called? Grains? Grains of salt. They would count them. And they would take a tenth of them, pull them aside, and give that to the church. They were very precise in following laws. But most of them, as Jesus called them whited sepulchers, because on the outside they looked great, but on the inside they were filled with dead men's bones. Okay? And so when we talk about that, like we have a negative connotation, we see them. But there's a lot of people today that we might have a positive connotation of that we see that are these whited sepulchers. They will follow rules to a T, but they're not necessarily productive of heart change. So, all right, we are about done with time, but I don't know if you guys caught this, where he talked at the very end about Zacchaeus, and he said, you come down the tree, and then Christ took his place on the tree. For those of you who are familiar with Deuteronomy 21, verse 23, I'll just go ahead and tell you, that's the verse that says, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. It's re-quoted in Galatians 3.13. You may be more familiar with that, but in either case, it says, cursed is anyone who hangs on a tree. Or, so basically, we have Zacchaeus in a cursed position because he was being boxed out, not let to the, to the front of the line so that he could see. And in so doing, he was in a cursed position. And Jesus said, come down, I'm going to your house for dinner. And he took that place on the tree. Now, it's easy for us to say that about Zacchaeus because he was a wee little sinner tax collector guy. But we are also sinners that the law has exposed our sins. And the gospel is hopefully producing change in us. And our rightful spot of being cursed on a tree has been taken by Christ. So, and it says, changed without a command. Uh, so, again, you can remember my very bad examples. If you have better ones, maybe you can share them next week. But next week we're going to start, uh, the next chapter is about point two. You are all I need for everlasting joy, but don't want to shortchange this message that there's nothing I have done that could make you love me more, less and nothing I could do that would make you love me more. That's that. All right, let's close in prayer, and then we'll get ready for church. 
Dear God, we thank you so much that there's nothing that we have done that could make you love us less and nothing we could do that could make you love us more. We pray that we would rest in that, that we would focus on the gospel so that we can forever be benefited by your gift rather than trying to achieve something on our own. We pray that as we go into church and you preach to us through your servant Travis that uh, our lives would be benefited so that when others see us, they would glorify you. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right.